Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Well, folks, we are we're nearing the end of Haggai. Just a couple weeks left. And as we're soon to complete this study, um, I'll take just a moment to give us an overview of where we're headed from here as we transition towards our new series that will be through the book of Acts, uh, beginning in uh, late September. Today in Haggai, we'll learn that more than 500 years before Jesus, uh, the seeds are already sown Uh, Which seeds? I'll get to that in just a few minutes. Next week, as we finish the book, Haggai is going to stun us with a very specific prophecy of Christ, uh, like Zechariah, using Zerubbabel's work in the temple as a type. uh, Jesus also becomes a ruler and a builder. The following Sunday, September 11th, we will heed the final admonition of the Old Testament that is cemented in the closing words of Malachi, which also supply a very specific prophecy of the coming Christ. Uh, You're not going to want to miss that. Malachi says that he, referring to the Messiah, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. So moms, don't let the dads oversleep on September 11th, or go golfing, no golfing. We know it's accepted as common today that uh, real men, they passionately pursue their life goals, their their own self-improvement above all else, even above their families, and uh, man has expressed a self-confidence that he has been placed on earth to conquer and succeed at all costs. Life is about winning, we hear, Uh, but we're here for success, prestige, and to acquire assets, we are told, regardless of how it affects our families. Fortunately, following the advent of Christ, this is a primer for Malachi, uh, the preaching of the gospel has, through spiritual rebirth, reversed that curse for all Christian families, right? Sadly, no which makes it all the more fascinating that fathers are the ones addressed in the final admonition of the Old Testament. We are to be prepared to lead, says Malachi, our families into restoration. So that would suggest as as men, as dads, our primary responsibility to Christ, it's not to hoist society's trophies, but to nurture along with our wives, our children in the Christian faith. That will be September 11th, two weeks from today. Uh, And then September 18th should begin our introduction to the book of Acts. So there's a little overview of where we are headed from here. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 15 to 19 supply a bridge. It's a bridge from our last two lessons leading to Haggai's grand finale, which we will study next Sunday. 
In our last two lessons, if you weren't here, uh, or to refresh your minds, we learned that God is going to bring a greater glory to His house by gathering together, well, the treasure of nations into one grand final temple. We discover this will bring Christ greater glory than ever seen by Solomon, greater even than Israel's temple. And that greater glory describes Christ and His church. The references to the gold and the silver by Malachi and in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere assure that redeemed souls are very precious to God, uh, so precious that was paid the price of Christ's blood. Then just last week we learned how salvation for God's elect in Israel occurred just as it does today, entirely through the grace of God. It is not in recompense or in repayment for our good works. The infinite price of redemption of sins is paid at the cross. Still for well, ancient Israel, uh, the, the evidence paints for us a, a bleak picture. As a people, virtually all they had pursued over the centuries, it was doubly dead. Both the northern kingdom, which is... Israel and the southern tribes called Judah, uh, they were conquered, they were ejected from their lands, uh, they were brutally taken captive, carried off into exile, uh, provides indisputable evidence of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Yet through all of that unfaithfulness, those generations of the unfaithful, God has always retained a believing remnant. They worship Him, and, and they build for God's kingdom. And though God had severely and repeatedly punished the nation, and though chastisement had proven insufficient to return them to God, uh, He had not entirely wiped out Israel. And though verse 14 assures that every work of their hands remains tainted, it is unclean, grace will conquer. And God announces on this day, this day of Haggai and to us today, He is prepared to bless and that the seeds of that blessing are already sown. A couple of important notes before I read verses 15 to 19. It's kind of a difficult, difficult passage, so I'm going to give a little, little outline here. Number one, in God's announcement, from this day on, I will bless. The you there at the end of the verse you'll see in most of your Bibles is in italics, uh, indicating it was not part of the original manuscript added by translators for, they believe, helpful understanding. Uh, but when God announces, from this day on, I will bless... Uh, this is in 520 B.C. Uh, we know, obviously, that isn't intended to be a continuous and permanent ex experience of the nation of Israel. Israel never truly obeyed or prospered after the conclusion of this temple rebuild project. In fact, after this temple is complete, they murder the righteous prophet Zechariah. I read him to you earlier. They, they murder him between the altar and the temple. 
And then the Jews, of course, continually suffer oppression by Rome for centuries until they kill the Savior, only to be exiled again in 70 AD. So, so verse 19 does not suggest that all of Israel enjoys a perpetual blessing initiated in the year 520 BC. No, there's, there's more to this blessing, as we will see. Secondly, verse 19 anticipates a negative answer. The seed isn't still in the barn. This time of year, Israel realized their seed was already in the ground. It had been planted. But as Jesus often did, the Lord, uh, as Jesus often did, uh, the Lord Yahweh, speaking through Haggai, employs an agricultural illustration to reveal a spiritual truth. Jesus used them, we call them parables. Uh, Though Israel remains disobedient, this seed of a future blessing is already planted. It just hasn't yet borne fruit. All this will undergird our interpretation of this text, which cannot be separated from the context. That is, God is going to shake the heavens and the earth. We learned two weeks ago that refers to God's ratifying of the new covenant on the cross at Calvary. Uh, by the way, the shaking there is not the, not the second coming of Christ. It's the crucifixion of Christ. Properly, our passage in verses 15 through 19 is sandwiched, you will see, between verses 6 and 21, which assure that Haggai remains focused on this same topic of the new covenant and God's promise to shake all the nations through the gospel. Yet the shaking still isn't going to happen yet for a little while. But the new covenant has been clearly announced, so the seed is planted. And just as the seed of any newly planted tree won't bear fruit its first year, it won't bear fruit immediately after a few seasons. In a little while, the seed will surely bear fruit, and God will bless. All right? just hope that gives us a little bit of understanding as I read it. I'll back up one verse and begin at verse 14. This is of Haggai chapter 2. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people, and so it is Uh, So is this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now do consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed upon another in the temple of the Lord, from that time when one came to a a grain heap of twenty measures, there would only be ten. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would only be 20. I smote you and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider then from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, important date there, from the 24th day of the ninth month, From the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it hasn't borne fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless, 
Our Lord Jesus often used the symbolism of trees, vines, figs, olives. Uh, he said of the kingdom of God, it's, well, it's like the seed of a mustard tree. Starts out as the tiniest of seeds, but given some time, it, it just gets huge. Likewise, Jesus says every good tree will bear good fruit. Is Jesus there talking about trees? No, no, not, not even close. Uh, you have permission to laugh whenever anyone tells you that they always take the Bible literal. It's not true. Nobody does. Of course, nobody believes Jesus is giving a lesson in botany either. The trees are an allusion to something else. Seed is often representing something else. There's, there is good seed, and then there is seed uh, that produces tares. And likewise, there are many different kinds of soil. Well, you get the idea. Our passage today asks a question. Is the seed still in the barn? Singular. Is the seed still in the barn? As I previously said, it is the 24th day of the ninth month. Israel realizes that their planting season has just recently passed. It's, it's now early growing season. Therefore, their seed is clearly not in the barn. Nor has it yet matured to the point that it is bearing fruit. It's just in the ground. It may have sprouted. In fact, Small grains like wheat that we're familiar with, uh, they're not even the Lord's subject here. I'm not talking about small grains. Uh, they, those would produce fruit in, in just one season. But the imagery Haggai describes is that of fig trees and, and olive groves and pomegranates and, and vineyards. When starting from just a seed, they do not bear fruit overnight. It doesn't happen in one year. Starting from just a seed, many fruit trees require a significant amount of time to bear fruit. Years, sometimes. Uh, so this pronounced blessing in the text implies that there would be some delay. Following the pattern given by Haggai in verse 6, the Lord says, Yet, once more... In a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Haggai is going to repeat that again immediately after this verse, shaking the heavens and earth. So this is the context. And of course, we discovered two weeks ago that chapter 12 of Hebrews actually quotes this verse of Haggai. And therefore, we recognize that God already shook the heavens and the earth at Calvary. And, and that the gospel continues to shake the earth while Christ plunders the strong man's house. The strong man's house is the world, the nations outside of Israel. Uh, we know Christ promised that he would he'd bind that strong man and plunder the treasure of all nations that were under Satan's control. And we know that those are described often as silver and gold used to build Christ's temple. 
And uh, Hebrews insists that as recipients of this new and better covenant, we Christians have now received a kingdom which can never again be shaken. It's unshakable. It's in the last couple weeks we've been studying this as well. Here's the point. Here's the point. Israel had not yet, in Haggai's day, experienced enjoyment of God's new covenant. They, they had only heard about it. But the seeds of what God was planning to do are already planted in the ground. The seed is already sown. For the nation of Israel then, it's now just waiting a matter of time until Christ comes. And for the heaven and the earth to shake at Calvary and for the new covenant to then begin to bear fruit. Follow me? How can we have confidence that Christ is the seed? Well, it's not only because Haggai chapter 2 so vividly contrasts the old covenant promise that God made with Israel, the, the covenant that He cut with Israel at Sinai, with the new covenant promise whereby God will shake the earth to fill His house with glory. Christ's being the seed of blessing is in view. We will, uh, that, that perception will be reinforced next week with Haggai's ultimate prophecy of Christ. So Jesus is in view in all of Hebrews, uh, Haggai chapter 2. The promised new covenant, of course, uh, is the seed that is already sown. It's sown in Israel. Uh, how can we know? How can we know that the seed of Christ is already sown in Israel? Well, because every prophet in the Old Testament, starting with Moses, who wrote the Pentateuch, through Malachi all the way through the end, points to Jesus. Christ our Savior is announced immediately after the fall, as many of you know. That's in Genesis chapter 3. Just by chance this last week, well not really by chance, but it was by chance I was reading this book, uh, this commentary by a theologian named G.I. Williamson, uh, who who was exegeting, he was explaining, he was digging into the promise that God made Adam and Eve after the fall. He has some extraordinary insight. And that, that promise of Christ is present and already sown in Genesis 3, verse 15. It's in the form of the seed of the woman. Of course, that seed who would come and crush the serpent's head. Williamson writes this, quote, It was also quite clear that the seed that God had in mind would be one person, a male person, who would be mighty enough to inflict a greater wound on Satan than Satan could inflict on him. This clearly suggests a Savior who would be both human as a descendant of the woman, and yet more than human in order to be stronger than Satan. Clearly, 
there would be a single person who combined these qualities, a single person who would destroy the works of the devil. We see, writes Williamson, that already in the Old Testament, these two elements stood together. There was to be one great Savior or Messiah, and he was to be both divine and human. He continues to say, in the rest of the Old Testament, in the balance of the Old Testament, we see a deepening of this concept. So the coming of Christ, the first advent of Christ, is clearly already in Genesis 3. They just didn't know when. Similar with Israel. Moses wrote about Jesus. In Psalm 22, King David writes about Jesus. It's a thousand years before Christ is born. Saying, quote, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. King David, he brilliantly describes the ratifying of the new covenant at Calvary. The prophet Isaiah speaks of Christ in the 8th century B.C. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. Though all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The gospel seed is already sown. The prophet Micah declared that he would be born in Bethlehem. Long before Haggai wrote, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel all announce that God would be making a strong new covenant with his people. It will not be like the old covenant, says Jeremiah. The one that Israel broke, says Jeremiah, nonetheless the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Jeremiah 31, 31, they will be included in this new covenant. Yet Jews will no longer be exclusive. The new covenant through the priest and the king named Branch is going to branch out to all of the nations. During our scripture reading, Zechariah, who was, as I mentioned, a contemporary of Haggai, they, they're preaching at the same time. Uh, he declared to Israel, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. And then Zechariah says, those who are far off, far away, will come and build the temple of the Lord. Folks, that is us. That's the Norwegians 
the Scandinavians, the Russians, those from all who are far off coming to build the temple of the Lord together. Uh, that, that, that prophecy is not delayed until the second coming of Christ. That, that, that is just not right. It is fulfilled in Christ as Christ builds uh, the temple. We are the temple that is built by God's Spirit prophesied by Zechariah. Both Jew and Gentile without distinction, we are told repeatedly in the New Testament, and this is the promised blessing by Haggai. We are the gold and the silver, the treasure of all nations, and Zechariah chapter 2, it's the one we haven't looked at yet, this is Zechariah chapter 2, which is preached exactly two months after Haggai speaks at, at, this, at this context. Zechariah chapter 2 says this, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. That is fulfilled by Jesus who entered Jerusalem. Many nations, Zechariah chapter 2 says, many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and they will become my people. That is fulfilled through Jesus and the new covenant offered to all nations in the church. Then, Haggai continues, I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That is fulfilled by the ministry of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, every believer. Zechariah chapter 4 then, we'll have to touch on again next week. Zechariah chapter 4 reveals a prophecy of a lampstand and two olive trees. The olive trees are seen in Romans 11 as the, true, as the two branches, Jew and Gentile, grafted together into one righteous root, which is Christ. I don't have time to return to Zechariah 4 today, but if you want to gain considerable understanding... Uh, of this prophecy of the two olive trees, uh, we covered it here back in, on May 8th. I gave a message on Zechariah 4. It, it is on our website if you would look, like to look at it before we come back next week. Uh, dated May 8th of this year, it is titled, Building the Third Temple of God. It's given during the Second Thessalonians series, uh, but it, it is, concentrates on Zechariah chapter 4. I realize for some of us here, we're saying, well, this is a little redundant. We talked about that a little bit in uh, Sunday school this morning, adult Bible class this morning. Uh, for some of us, this is a little redundant. But for others who have just recently joined us, maybe just visiting uh, in the last few weeks, uh, they need to be brought up to speed. And uh, here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to know. Zechariah and Haggai whose ministries overlapped during the building of the second temple, they are preaching the exact same language. They proclaim there is going to be a third temple built by God's Spirit. It's going to be a spiritual temple built on a foundation of a new and a better covenant, and it will include all of the nations being built together. That's the blessing. 
So all of the prophets who have already been foretelling of these glories of Christ for centuries even before Haggai and Zechariah, uh, long before Haggai and Zechariah started to preach Christ. And the Apostle Peter says of the prophets of old this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, as to this salvation, as to this blessing that we have, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeing to know what person or what, or what time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he, the Spirit of Christ, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them, says Peter, that they were not serving themselves but you, in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. There are things Peter says that angels long to look. When Haggai preached, was this seed of Christ still in the barn? No. By the time that Haggai preaches, the seeds of the new covenant had already been scattered and sown throughout all of the Old Testament. But had those seeds of Christ borne fruit? No. Not yet. Why not? Because the Savior had not yet suffered at Calvary and died. All that Israel's remnant, all that the believing remnant could do was just marvel at the mysteries of that blessing that was yet to come. The seed had been sown, but they did not yet see the fruit. All Israel could do is really all they could do. All they could do is stand back and gaze from afar at the mysteries of Christ. But we, who have received God's promise and now stand face to face with the grace of God in Christ, we look far too much like them. The fruit of the promised blessing, it's ripe and it is today realized through the new covenant in Christ. The seed is not in the barn. The seed is no longer in the ground. That seed has developed into one rich root, supporting both branches of two olive trees. And both Jew and Gentile have enjoyed the succulent fruit of salvation in Christ ever since the gospel was first preached when he rose from the grave. It's been bearing fruit ever since. Are you sharing the gospel? Through the new covenant, we've been granted both Christ and God's blessing. Ancient Israel couldn't work in this field. They couldn't labor alongside us 
in the gospel. But Jesus says today that the fields are ripe, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, where are they? What are we waiting for? It's time to build, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. And through the preaching of the forgiveness of sins offered through the gospel. There's forgiveness in Christ alone. And every person that you pass needs it. Every single person. There is no other way. Everyone we pass needs to hear about Jesus. Whether they want to or not, that's not up to us. But we know the gospel and the new covenant are bearing fruit already. Once we transition into the book of Acts, boy, you and I are going to observe some people. They're Christians. And they took God's promise seriously. You and I, we both need to look a whole lot more like them and a whole lot less like ancient Israel. What is wrong with us? It's resent- we resemble a little too much like the people in Haggai's day because we haven't fully applied ourselves to the new covenant blessings in Christ. An outline of this passage could look like this. Under the old covenant, this is verse 14, under the old covenant, Israel had repeatedly failed. Then in verse 15, The word translated in your Bibles as either upward or onward, it's a Hebrew idiom. means it's a saying that they had. Uh, It points chronologically both forward and back. It means Israel as a nation failed to keep the Mosaic Covenant in both directions, even since the temple's founding, past, present, and future. They failed. Therefore, in verses 16 and 17, the consequences of their perpetual disobedience has always resulted in the old covenant blessing having never been fully realized. Israel never reached their potential. Their fruit or blessing It's always been partial. A heap of 20 measures, well, it became 10. They go to the wine vat and 50 measures of wine, it's it's only 20. And God says, I was forced to smote every work of your hands. Why? Because under the old covenant, God was... uh, contractually obligated to punish them for their disobedience. God says, I had to do it. 
And ultimately, they failed to apply their covenant blessing. They failed to apply it, never realized it. Boy, may God never let that be said of us. And if there's one final thing that must be amplified before we finish the book of Haggai, it is that Christians living under the new covenant, we preach Christ from the Old Testament. It talks about Jesus everywhere. It is how the apostles shared the gospel with the early church. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures yet. They preached Christ from the Old Testament. Why? Because he's everywhere. He's everywhere in the Old Testament. It's a way that Paul and Peter made a defense of their Christian faith, was quoting the Old Testament. A couple miscalculations here. Um, one is, and just to make sure it never creeps in here, that idea that we're supposed to somehow ignore the Old Testament or discard the Old Testament, some of you have probably heard of it, that is a, that is a wicked idea. That is a wicked idea. Secondly, some theologians make a serious miscalculation concerning the Old Testament, suggesting that, that all that applies to Israel. Those blessings, they aren't for us. Well, some of them aren't for us. The blessings contractually obligated to Israel under the Old Covenant, they're not for us. But the writer of Hebrews assures that the Old Covenant is obsolete anyhow. Yet the Old Covenant provides a shadow of what was still to come. And the substance we recognize is in Christ. And by contrast to Israel, the blessings promised to them and to us concerning Christ under the new and the better covenant, they're for all of us. They are for all of us, both Jews and Gentiles who have been grafted together into one body, God making us, Ephesians 2 says, the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Folks, the seeds of Christ are scattered all over the Old Testament. And Jesus says, these are the scriptures that teach about me. He never said these are the scriptures that teach about Israel. He said they teach about me. Uh, however, we learn to obey Christ by observing Israel's failures and by avoiding their mistakes. If we want the blessing of God's promise of reward today and the reward that we are promised when he returns, we better start applying the covenant promise. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Start local in Judea. Branch out from there. Go into all the world because Christ is building his kingdom 
in all the nations. And we today were strengthened by the obedience. There was a believing remnant in Israel. There was a believing remnant, and we are strengthened through their obedience who obeyed God's, God's voice to build. It's time to build. Let's pray.